apparently Fergie will be taken out of Old Trafford in a box. He says retirement is for young people. Well, you know, we're young. Shall we retire? Yeah, this is it. This is the last ever Rankcast. We're retiring from professional podcasting uh, as of right now. No, no, that's that's not true. In fact, I've just changed my mind about retirement because my wife says she doesn't know what she would do with me around the house. I don't actually have a wife, just to make that clear. Well, you know, your imaginary friend. <laughs> Ed, uh, first thing I want to talk about this evening, I've been dying to talk to you about this all week. Money, 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 money. It makes the world go round, so we're here. What's going on? Pick debts, Red Football Joint Ventures. It's too tight to mention, Paul. It's too tight to mention. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a strange one, this one, isn't it? Because typical of the Glazer family, there's so very little information out there. And absolutely nothing was said. In fact, David Gill said, nothing to do with me. I know nothing about it, which... Being David Gill, I assume that uh, he knows plenty about it because he is uh, pretty disingenuous. But yeah, it seems like uh, essentially uh, they they have uh, filed a note uh, to the pick holders. And this is the payment in kind loans, this kind of fancy IOU that accrues sixteen point two five percent interest a year, um, and of which there are less than ten. In fact, there are seven pick holders, mostly hedge funds. And uh, filed this note that says we will be paying it off on the 22nd of December, which is Monday next week. And um, so there will be no more pick debt. So all our all our um, commentary about the pick debt can go. Having said that, we there are, uh, I guess a couple of really interesting points here. One, one uh, they are not using club cash to do it. And of course, I, along with many other people, have said for many months they will definitely be using club cash to do it. So <laughs> plenty of egg on faces all around there. However... The, the the spin that uh, clearly came out of the Glazers PR department, they use a city PR firm to uh, handle their UK sort of financial matters, was that it was their own cash. Now, I have to say, I, I doubt this very much. I do not believe that the Glazer family, given given the state of their property empire in the States, and given that's their only business, aside from the, the Tampa Bay Bucks and, and United, I don't believe they found... Uh, 220 million pounds, you know, over three, what, 350 something million dollars. Uh, it's just, given they made nine million dollars profit last year, I just think that's nonsense. And I think it almost certainly they have refinanced. Now, depending on how they've refinanced, there's been some speculation that uh, Springfield Financial, which is a particular firm known for this kind of uh, dodgy financing, has done it. Uh, I think we can probably mark that down as just pure speculation. It was in the Telegraph today and uh, word has it that uh, they just copied that off a uh, another internet forum. But almost certainly they have refinanced all of this debt. Um, if, if it is Springfield Finance, does that mean it's run by Dr. Nick? I kind of imagine or, the, or Dr. Hibbert, in fact, chuckling while Rome burns. So if they have refinanced it, that means that essentially your space speculation earlier in the week was that it's probably going to still be leveraged against red football joint ventures which means leveraged against manchester united right yeah essentially i mean red football joint venture just to give the the structure is is effectively manchester united's holding company they're the company to which payment in kind notes are, are currently attached and reported and they, they report their accounts at different times so they actually they report in january whereas united report quarterly at the moment uh, with their annual accounts in the, in the autumn so red football joint venture they're one asset is uh, is Manchester United, of which they own 100%. And so the pick debt was secured against the shares in Manchester United. So not the assets per se 
of Manchester United, but the shares of Manchester United. So if the Glazers hadn't paid off the pick debt, if they'd just carried on lending a crew till 2017, it would have been worth 600 and some million. If they hadn't paid it back then on maturity, they would have simply had to hand over their shares in Manchester United, which would have been quite amusing in many ways, but also pretty scary because we don't really want seven hedge funds owning United because they're only motivation would be the profit and they'd probably just asset strip the club so um so that's probably not now going to happen but what's almost certainly happened is that they've just got a new loan the credit markets have opened up a little bit more they'll be using the same security which is red football joint ventures shares in manchester united or red football limited as they report as and uh, you know we're, we're going to carry on effectively with uh, united having a 700 million pound debt and they'll have a slightly better interest rate i mean if it's market rates it might be about five and a bit percent that that's for kind of triple a rated you know the best credit but yeah, arsenal have a, a very good rate on their the loan they took out to to buy emirates for example united are paying about an eight percent coupon on the bond uh, slightly different different type of finance so we can probably pers- you know assume a five to eight percent interest rate which is obviously a lot better than 16 percent. yeah some would say it's twice as good if it's eight percent a subsequent question that i would have that is been talked about and and because this is shrouded in secrecy everything you've just said there's no denying it it's speculation that, that's kind of what we're here to do in this particular case um it, it sounds very plausible to me but what about the suggestion that somehow something of a stake in uh, manchester united might have been sold to an unnamed third party i suppose that could be the case uh, we haven't heard that and i would have thought we'd have actually got wind of this the, the other thing is they would have had to n- notify the the premier league and nothing has been said by the premier league about this yet right. uh, united isn't a publicly traded company so they don't have to notify the stock exchange or anything like that but uh, they would have had to tell tell the premier league of a change of ownership because the fit and proper person test would come into this um now it, i you know it depends on the subtleties of the rules i i think if they just sold say given the amount of money about a 15 percent stake uh, I think they do still have to tell the Premier League about that. I guess we might have to check on that one, but I'm pretty sure we'd have found out about it. My 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 bet, and I would be willing to put quite a large amount of money on this, is that it's a refinance. Um, I think the, the second most likely and a long, long way behind is an equity sale. And the third one is that the Glazers have found the cash down the back of their sofa. And uh, frankly, there's about as much chance of me finding £220 million down the back of my sofa. The, the other potential is that Rio found it down the back of his car seat. I just I've, I kind of wondered if they just asked the players to have a look for general spare change and piles of cash lying around the house and stuff. Oh, you know, I just found a Bentley in one of my garages. I never knew I had it. I'll just flog that. Yeah, well, they could they could have done, yeah. Um, I mean, of course, the, the, the best, um, the, depending on your point of view on this, the, the best scenario would be an equity sale because effectively it'd wipe out that debt. And it might be a precursor, as some financial analysts have kind of said this week, to an eventual sale of the club. That would be one view. Another view would be that, in reality, United is going to have to go through a lot of pain in order to, to come out the other side of this, much as Liverpool have done, uh, in, in order for the asset to become distressed and get rid of the Glazers. And so that this is actually not that great because what it's done is entrenched the Glazers. It means if they've refinanced on some kind of long-term finance, um, that's a bit more realistic and, and not eating away at the equity, which is what the PIC loans were doing, uh, that they're entrenched here till at least... 2017 when at one point they are going to have to either refinance the bond or pay it down if the glazers are, they've paid down the pick debt without taking money out of the club so far 
I mean, I guess that your speculation would be that at some point that money is going to have to come out of the club um, before between now and 2017, because otherwise, you know, it doesn't. There's no other source of that revenue for them, obviously. But what if they manage the debt and get the finance? to some sort of comparison with the commercial output of the club and are able to keep the club running at a kind of successful level due to, you know, according to the kind of original business plan. Is that absolutely, completely and utterly out of the question or is it just very unlikely? Well, of course, the original business plan that David Gill called overly aggressive and the road to ruin. And now he's managing and implementing. Well, look, United is a very successful company. Uh, you know, it, the EBITDA involves are just a tad over 100 million this year on on 300 million pound turnover so um, in terms of pure turnover we're ranked third in the world behind Real Madrid and Barcelona uh, by far the most profitable club on the planet uh, in a bit dar terms once you start adding in debt and the costs associated with debt of course we made a massive loss now next year there will be some of those one-off of course we talked about this on the on the pod a a couple of weeks ago next year some of those one-off costs won't factor in and we'll get a maybe a truer long-term picture of exactly if they of course if they haven't taken dividends uh, which they haven't done yet a truer long-term picture of exactly what united finances are but we're still talking about interest costing around about half of united's profits now if they're not paying the pick debt they they're not having to run just to stand still because basically that debt was accruing so much interest that it was outstripping the club's ability to grow therefore eating into the asset and the asset was becoming less valuable you know in theory as a result now um if they refinance that that's not the case for them um, but it does mean they are still losing an awful lot of United's profitability and it's just going out the window. Uh, it obviously reduces United's ability to compete in the transfer market, therefore their ability to protect their own assets, their ability to grow the business through, say, expanding Old Trafford and developing the South Stand. Which it reduces the Glazers' ability to increase matchday revenue. And, and this is a really important point because if you look at the quarterly results, matchday revenue is basically flat. Actually, the annual results showed an 8% dip and uh, TV and revenues basically flat now because we've just had the new overseas rights tv deal and the new domestic deal and the new champions league deal so they're all factored in now so it's very hard in the next three years to imagine the glazer family being able to increase match day revenue or tv revenue so the commercial revenue is the one they're really pushing and there's a 25 percent quarter on quarter increase in that and that's taking into account the new aeon deal the concho toro wines deal and then they've done all these regional exclusive deals like the one we've PCCW, which is a telecoms provider in in Hong Kong and uh, Air Asia and Malaysia Air and and Turkish Airlines and and all of that kind of stuff. So they've actually done really well to increase revenue. But quarter on quarter, it a bit dull, which is like you know the standard measure of profitability was 4.8 percent up. So they're really for such a massive increase in commercial revenue, they 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 are running just to stand still because that's also less than the coupon on their debt. You know, so want to answer your question after that very long-winded ramble one one way of looking at this is that this is a fantastically run business which is as david gill says able to meet its long-term finance another way of looking at it is that this is crippling united and and it's it's clearly restricting united's ability to compete no matter what happens in the next transfer window or the next summer when united will spend some significant amount of cash i think uh, long term is crippling united's ability in the transfer market and there is still the specter of 2017 when 
that £509 million bond has to be paid off or refinanced. So are we talking about a club that will be in debt in perpetuity? Well, um, if that isn't enough money talk for you, we've got a very special guest now on the Rankcast. Ed, you've got the opportunity to speak to the one and only Anders Red. So with me today is Andy Green of the AndersRed.blogspot.com website, uh, who provides excellent analysis on United's financial situation. And welcome to the show, Andy. Hi there. Good to have you with us. Um, so it's, it's uh, been, I guess, another momentous week in the ongoing saga of United's finances. And the Glazers, it seems, have paid off uh, a certain amount of money these pick loans but I, I guess i wanted to talk to you about how they've done that exactly and and the smart money seems to be on some kind of refinancing arrangement is that something you'd agree with yeah well i think um there are three possibilities the first one is they've sold a stake in the club but i think uh from from people journalists who've talked to the premier league that isn't the case so we can rule that one out second possibility is they've found the money and we're talking about £243 million uh, pounds in total. And I think most commentators, myself included, would say that that's very unlikely. They haven't got £243 million pounds sitting around in cash, which leads you to the third possibility, which is they've refinanced it. They've basically replaced old debt with, uh, with new debt, probably cheaper. And, and what do you think are the likely sources of, of this uh, new debt? Obviously, there was the erroneous piece in the, the Telegraph uh, a couple of days ago speculating on, on one of the uh, US uh, financial companies. Do you think it, it could be one of the big banks or more likely to be a, a similar uh, pick type arrangement with a, a very high coupon on the interest rate? Well, I mean, the, 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 the picks were secured on the shares of, of Red Football, the parent company of United. And um, if you're going to borrow that sum of money, you're going to have to provide some security. And so it's, it's likely that they're going to be similar to the picks in that respect. They're going to be the new loan will be secured on, on the same thing, on the shares in, shares in United. Who would lend the money? Well, it's not really one for the banks, given the state of the banks, both in the UK and in the US at the moment. It's probably one for a private equity type firm or a hedge fund. The, the, uh, that, that story in the Telegraph was speculation. It mentioned Springfield Capital, who, and it is the sort of thing they would do. And there are, I could probably name another 10. I won't bother because it's speculation. 10 similar firms in America who, who would look to do that sort of deal. And, and you think this is more likely to be a, a US-based deal rather than the UK? I mean, we would more likely have, have heard something by now if it was uh, in the UK market. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not just hearing something. It's also, I think a lot of people are speculating, probably rightly, that, that they would like privacy. They would rather people like us couldn't see what they're up to. And if they do that in America, if they, for example, there's a, there's a Red Football Limited Partnership in Nevada, which is the ultimate parent company, if they did something at that level in America, then there's no requirement to publish any details of that, that, that deal. And so I think it's definitely happened, it almost certainly happened in America. Um, if it's happened in the UK, then eventually they'll have to publish some accounts at Companies House that show what they've done. And so uh, United's UK-based parent company files its uh, annual counts in i think january normally isn't it uh, and right. do, do you think that that will lead us uh, down a path to some more information or, or likely to be uh, still hidden it'll it'll definitely say we've paid off the picks 
And the question is, will it say we've paid off the picks and we now have this other loan? Or will it say we got money from our ultimate parent in America and we, and we use that to pay off the picks? And I think probably the latter, sadly, for, for all of us who try to keep an eye on what's going on. Um, and as I say, I think they've done this partly to reduce the interest bill uh, and partly to stop prying eyes from people like you and me and other supporters who want to know what's going on. I'm sure the interest bill will be lower, but you just have to think of it like this. Yeah, the, the, the bond cost about 8.75% per annum so they're hardly cheap at a time when interest rates are virtually zero the picks cost 16 and a quarter percent so you've got to suppose that the new interest rate is somewhere between the two numbers between the 8.75 and the 16 we're still talking about quite expensive debt you know if it's 10 percent that's 24 million pounds a year they have to find from somewhere and so and i'm um, talking about having to find that uh, from somewhere is it likely there will be another kind of loan that they roll up the interest or, or are they going to be seeking money and therefore where where is the source of that money aside from aside from united well obviously one of the weird things here is they own own some of the picks themselves uh, i think about 15 percent so they may have waived that and just borrowed the other 85 percent they may have borrowed the whole lot and then paid themselves some of the money with the borrowings which will obviously give them some cash to pay the interest in the first year or so we just don't know i think if i think it's unlikely they'll roll up the interest because that's that that's it's like anyone with a credit card who doesn't pay it off these things spiral out of control quite fast so i think it's more likely that they'll um they'll pay the interest periodically and uh, yeah i think that probably does mean they'll be looking at those dividend rights they have at united and thinking we can use those in the future i suspect from a pr point of view they'll my guess would be it's just a guess would be that they'll wait until the summer let fergie buy a couple of players because there is money in the bank at united no one denies that and and then after that they'll say look we strengthened the squad so and the club's doing very well so we'll take out a dividend and it's quite prudent and sensible to do so so that's my that's my guess and, and probably a very good guess at that so i guess it it, it begs the question about their their strategy in, in buying the bonds in the first place doesn't it because it effectively increased their in increased the the interest rate on on that debt but allowed them the flexibility to to take money what why do that unless you do actually take the money it's yeah absolutely i think there has been a change of strategy i think undeniably i mean that the bond prospectus is it's uh you know someone said to me it's a bit like finding a hollow fertilizer in the back of a suspected terrorist house yeah he might be he might have a market garden but the chances are he's building a bomb the bomb prospectus is built to to take money off to pay out the picks and that's obviously something they've chosen not to do so i think they've changed their approach i think that might have a lot to do with or probably does have a lot to do with the green and gold campaign the weak ticket sales this season and yeah it's left them in a rather bizarre position of paying more now in bond interest than they were in bank interest uh, quite significantly more, 20 million more perhaps a year, for, for, for virtually no gain at all. Fascinating stuff. And so the spectre of, of 2017 is, is still over us, isn't it? Uh, when when the, the bond has to be redeemed in some fashion. Uh, uh, do you think we're, we're looking at a situation where they'll simply refinance that again and issue another bond and United will be permanently in debt? Yeah, United will be permanently de- in debt under the Glazers, um, not because they're evil people, but because that's their business practice they are big believers in leverage in in debt in companies and every other business they've ever been involved in including the tampa bay buccaneers where debt is limited by by the nfl rules they've they've sort of gone up to the debt limits in their property business in their previous businesses they've owned in the past they've done the same thing and yeah and 
to make money out of United as the owners of it, they've got two ways of doing it. They either sell it for a higher price than they bought it, which is obviously constantly speculated about, or you effectively, as it gets more profitable, which I'm sure they hope it will, you take some of those profits and you borrow against them and you take money out effectively. You, you leverage up. That's how you make money from these sort of deals. So I fully suspect they will continue to run at very at high rates of debt at United, you know, a, a, around uh, five, six, seven times profits in debt for the foreseeable future. Certainly worrying times for United fans. Um, and on that note, I, I think uh, I will say thank you and thanks for joining us and, and giving us your insights. Uh, and I'm sure uh, there'll be many more weeks like this in the, uh, the years to come as United fans. Thanks. Fascinating stuff. Um, talking of fascinating stuff that actually wasn't that fascinating, or at least until the last 10 minutes, I finally got to see Manchester United this season sitting amongst the extremely grumpy Aston Villa fans in the North Stand upper tier, tantalisingly close to uh, to the United faithful. I'm pretty sure I would have uh, seen Atlas Nicky uh, 210808 or whatever that date is um, uh, from where I was sitting. I could certainly hear the we're Man United, we do what we want chant repeatedly sung but but it was a very very strange old game i had it's an absolutely fantastic view from from that stand um so and and it was the end that makeda scored that ballistic goal in and vidic's Vidic's had a brilliant view of Vidic's header so it was kind of brilliant on that score there was a really testy atmosphere the Villa fans were so quick to get on their players back and I think I don't know I just unfortunately located amongst some particularly kind of critical fans but but they were a pretty grumpy bunch oh well we've all done it sat in the away end when uh, that's the only way to jib a ticket so yeah I've done that many many times and uh, and uh, I'm sure when uh, Makeda's shot hit the top corner uh, you had to keep yourself in control lest, lest the Brummies turn on you and we certainly wouldn't want that they, they there was someone a little bit further back in our uh, tier that didn't manage to do that and sort of jumped up and was immediately kind of turned upon and there were chance of out 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 it was very got very nasty for a second there but yeah i was clapping clapping the opposition um which is actually quite easy to do because uh i have a great deal of respect for football played well and and they played pretty well in the early part of that second half mark albrighton looks a looks a proper player to me looks a very tasty player i also like barry bannon who who of course was absolutely outstanding when villa reserves uh, turned us over earlier in the season and uh, i think they've got some very very talented players at that club now and then looks like julio is despite his reputation for dar football is is producing a side uh, that is going to play some good stuff and i think he's he's been very smart in moving ashley young to a, a more central position so i thought they were good value for their 2-0 lead to be honest they were good value for a win let's let's be honest and and united did what all ferguson sides do and and took something out of nothing and you have to say that that, that there's a huge amount of credit due manchester united for the period of the game between the 80th and 90th minute and absolutely very little credit to the the team before that ferdinand looked from where i was sitting to be having a pretty good game as did village certainly whenever villa crossed the ball there was maybe one time where it looked a bit shaky but 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 the vast majority of their crosses were kind of dealt with comfortably um their positioning 
is just so phenomenal. They're, they're just, as a defensive partnership, they're kind of light years ahead of the rest of the competition in, in, in the Premier League. Oh, yeah, you want to clone the pair of them. Uh, what, what was it? I think United had four shots in total and one on target before the 80th minute and like 12 after it when they piled in. And uh, I suppose if the game had gone on a few more minutes, United would have probably won it. That's just the nature of that team and, and Ferguson's desire to win and, and he's communicated that to his, his side. But it just felt like another one of those performances that United have had on the road this season. It just wasn't intense enough at times. And you know, Villa outpassed us in midfield. They were blinding, to be honest. And you, you kind of think they if they um, if Julier can kind of harness the, the talent he has and, and get some consistency out of those younger players and get some of the, his players back there injured as well. He does have a lot of injuries right now, but they, they will be challenging for a sort of Europa League type spot. And as for United, we can't win the Premier League drawing on the road every season. We're lucky that Chelsea are just as inconsistent, I suppose. They they were very flat in the first half. Villa were, and United had um, the first ten minutes. So there only looked to be one team in it. We were we were great, knocking the ball around, no no trouble at all. The one thing that kept happening was that a lot of our good possession went to Ji Sung Park, who didn't do anything with any of it, as is his want. So they you know they would get the ball, he'd get the ball in space, and all the Villa fans around me would be kind of going. And I just wanted to turn around and go, listen, mate, you've really got nothing to worry about. Don't even worry about it. He's just going to give the ball back to you lot. That's that's how it works. And that's what he does, yeah. Yeah. So um, so it, it was kind of really unfortunate. Berbatov came in for loads and loads and loads of criticism after the game. I, 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 couldn't, I didn't see his miss because that was at the far end. But he just didn't get any possession whatsoever. He had to come so deep to get position, possession. And people criticise him for not running around enough. But he takes himself completely out of the game if he runs runs that deep he can't do anything with the ball once he's got it because there's no outlet apart from nanny who again like everyone else kind of only started to play well in the last 10 minutes and by the way that boy has got to sort it out because he's becoming one of those players that you just cringe every time they go down and and, and he swung an arm out although i think it would have been harsh red he didn't actually really connect and i'm not sure he was targeting the player i, I had such a fantastic view of that and i i'm absolutely convinced he was trying to elbow him because it got really niggly between the two of them I'm, I'm convinced it just really looked like intention but what a fantastic cross for Vidic's winner and he was beating players for fun at, at one point as well so so he really uh, if he could just like stop rolling around I don't mean there's no United fans that want to see him do that are there I don't no, think so anyway. I, I don't think so and it's uh, it's embarrassing we just want him to stay on his feet and, and uh, produce the goods which he has been doing on a, a much more consistent basis over the last say 12 months or so a couple of things i wanted to mention about nani actually one one did you uh, did you see him steal a goal off cristiano ronaldo in the week Oh no, I heard about that, but I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to look it up. Uh, it's ab- okay, so YouTube this. This is one of the best pieces of uh, YouTube footage you'll see all season, um, including one of the best goals you'll see all season from Cristiano Ronaldo. Absolutely phenomenal. Uh, dribbles it around a couple of players and then basically lofts it over the keeper. And uh, Nani, for whatever reason, decides to head it in on the goal line. <laughs> Unfortunately, he was offside. <laughs> and so the, one of the best goals you're ever likely to see was chalked off. And then the best bit 
Uh, Ronaldo, uh, obviously, you know, the ego that he is, threw an absolute strop over this, uh, ripped the captain's armband off, threw it on the floor, looked like he was going to cry, and uh, apparently Nani has now apologised to him for doing it and, and said he doesn't know why he did it. But, um, but I mean, to be honest, it was probably a goal anyway. It was probably behind the, the, uh, the goal line, but the, uh, the linesman had flagged for offside. And one other thing before we move on to Wigan, this, this chant uh, that, yeah, I've, I've um, heard many times now, the uh, we're we're Man United, we do what we want. I'm not sure I like this one. Ah, yes. You see, this is interesting. Not arrogant, just better. That's what we like to say. I'm not convinced at all that that isn't just massively arrogant. Yeah, exactly. I think it might just cross the line. You could see how much fun the United fans were having with that chant. You know that it was incredibly aggravating to the opposition fans, and they were just, you know, there was just a full-on kind of embrace of it. I don't think it's going anywhere. That chant, I think that's around for a while. No, no, I will. Um, I'll be at the West Ham game, uh, United's Carling Cup game, and looking forward to that uh, away trip. And um, I'm sure that will be heartily sung there too. I was slightly worried at one point that that was going to get me killed because someone was going to find out I was a United fan. I think we're going to beat Wigan Athletic. That's my out-on-a-limb suggestion. Well, they've never won at Old Trafford, ever, in the history of that sad and rather pathetic club. Oh, they're not a sad and pathetic club. They've, they've gone from rags to riches. They're an established premiership force now. They, they are, and, and they do try and play some decent football, obviously under Roberto Martinez, and it's a, a shame we won't actually see Tom Cleverley because, of course, he can't play against his parent club. Just just getting back into the side. It's been a very bitty start for him at, at Wigan uh, because of injuries and, and that kind of thing. So, But, yeah, I'm, I just can't see anything past the United win. Of course, the, the big talking point, I suppose, will be the potential return of Wayne Rooney, Ooh, who's boo. had uh, had his week at uh, Spark in uh, Oregon and uh, a week back at Carrington training. And, by, you know, all accounts, is fit. So... We'll see. Um, Fergie has cancelled his press conference tomorrow again. Uh, what a surprise. I think he's only actually done one in the last, aside from the one where he was crying about Wayne Rooney's contract. Um, he's only actually done one of his Friday press conferences in the last sort of, three months or so. So, yeah, we, we might not hear, maybe via MUTV, whether, whether he's fit or not. And uh, we'll see. Chance, chance for him playing. If not, he'll, he'll certainly be involved in the, uh, the game against Rangers uh, in the Champions League in midweek. Gosh, I, I don't know how I feel about all this. I mean, he'll be back and he'll play great and we'll, you know, love him and whatever. But for now, every time I hear his name, I'm going to think, boo, in my head. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think, uh, I think the relationship between United fans and him have changed. I mean, even if he does score a bank of goals, of course, everyone wants United to win and, you know, we'll cheer when he scores. But next time, I, I don't think we'll be hearing the, the White Pele song for quite a long time. I really don't. I, I don't know whether there's any appetite to... You know, he's just he's just another footballer now, isn't he? I mean, I, I do think that'll change if he does hit form. I mean, it kind of happened with Ronaldo. Uh, the, the, there was there was a period where Viva Ronaldo didn't get sung anymore, and then he had one particularly scintillating performance, which I'm afraid I can't draw to mind what match it was, and there was like a kind of return to the Viva Ronaldo chant. But now it's sung home and away kind of thing. He's, it's it's in the in the in the lexicon of United greats, really, I suppose. And you, you wonder if 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 Rooney consistently plays over the next say say he honours the term of his contract and is at United for four or five years and scores hatfuls of goals and we win the Champions 
league the, the, old, the white Pele song will come back won't it you know it's it's it, it might take a season or so but it'll be back i'm sure yeah yeah if if that happens yeah and i i think a lot of people are a bit suspicious about it and, and you know the club have tried to push the blame onto paul stretford fergie said today or yesterday he was, at, he was out in doha and he said that I, I, his agent gave him bad advice and he listened to the bad advice. Well, f- you know, okay, fine, but he's 25 years old, so he's a he's a you know a player. He's not a boy anymore. He's been around the professional scene for a long time. He put his name to a statement which was extremely contrived. This is not a heat of the moment thing that he's gone. Oh, okay, I'll do what you want, and he's under pressure. He decided that he wanted to leave because he had an offer from Manchester City, and it was only after extreme pressure from the media and the club and the supporters that he he thought better of it. And once they came up with the zeros, and and I I don't think you know as gullible as some football supporters are, I don't think the core of Manchester United support are going to forgive him for that just yet. Not, not, not just yet, but, but, but I, I don't think it's, he's not out in the wilderness forever. The, you know, football fans for all their kind of, the, there's, there's a, a massive degree of fickleness and, and, and success is prized above everything else really, isn't it? So if he leads United to great success on the pitch, then. And uh, yeah, and of course, and, and people will love him again. I mean, it's just that it's another step in this you know, transformation of football from being a, a community thing where it's the, the society and it's based on identity and, and all of that kind of stuff to it just being another entertainment business and we are customers and, and not supporters and that's, that's really sad. And, and, and Wayne Rooney in many ways is the epitome of that, uh, you know, along with the Glazer family. But, you know, there you go. We, we, they, they, it is what it is. And I guess, you know, we, we pay our money and we make the choice there. We, we don't have to go to good matches or support United. It's just very difficult not to. It's interesting um, that you mentioned kind of uh, the nature of football and society and the relationship between the two. Um, I, I watched a bit of the England game last night because um, I'm half French. So one of the teams I support was going to play some decent football. Uh, probably i was thinking like it's a, it's interesting to see manchester united former manchester united um player uh, managing an international team again after mark hughes managed wales um it's, it was Lauren Blanc looks like he's doing a really really good job with France and then i was thinking well actually he looks like he's doing a really really good job with France but it's only england yeah, well, of course, you're admitting your Frenchness now. This is interesting. I don't remember this coming out in the World Cup. I'm pretty sure I must have talked about my Frenchness during the World Cup, didn't I? I don't know. I don't. I'm openly French. I'm not. I'm not in the closet. I, I think you were on strike actually during the World <laughs> Cup. Uh, yeah. In fact, uh, by the way, I've got to wrap up this show because I'm I'm on strike about working conditions for podcasters. In- Cheese eating surrender monkey. Me <laughs> um, <laughs> we, but it was I was. It got me thinking about football and society. The England game, as it always did, because I'm absolutely convinced that there's a fundamentally sociological origin to the problems with the England football team. That that it's got nothing to do with the management and technique and tactics. Not nothing, but but it's not exclusively about who the manager picks. Because the same thing happens with every manager we have and every player that he picks. That they just look a shadow of their own ability because something has happened to uh, the ne- something fundamental has happened to the England team to do with the way we perceive them as a society and the expectations that are placed on them and the distance between the fans and the players and you know that 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 distance is pretty there's a pretty massive cavernous divide between the players and the fans when it comes to club football but there's there's a more intimate relationship with club football because you see those fans week after week and you, you do get a sense that 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 
footballers kind of care about putting on a performance for their fans but the, the relationship between England players and the fans seems just completely distant and very strange Oh, well, yeah, maybe. And, and maybe that's an excuse for just not being very good players. And, and we keep having that shown up. And we, we, the English, keep having that shown up uh, at every international tournament. Uh, yep, yeah, look, um, the FA has finally signed uh, off on Burson today. This is 12 years after the blueprint. So yeah. we're, we're going to have a national football centre where the idea is that elite coaches and uh, sports science and the elite player, young players will all come together and hopefully produce the elite players senior players of the future uh maybe you know the academy system was kind of supposed to do that too the, the problem is all the clubs decided to fill them with 15 year old norwegian kids and you know which is which is perfectly fine because it's a globalized industry but it, it's not going to it's not going to have the pool of talent available for england to progress now i mean you, you talk about the distance between the fans and and the england side and yes i think that's true i mean i've been to england games at wembley and thought there's really no atmosphere here and where's the passion either in the stands or on the pitch but you know italian players earn tons of money too most of the french players are at top clubs around europe um you know ditto the german players so the brazilians and i'm not sure that we i mean you know in brazil the difference between the those players who are all earning mega mega money in Europe and the the you know a very poor nation is huge, uh, and so I don't I don't think there's any difference in pressure or expectation or socio economic factors between the fans and the the players that are only different in England per se. I mean, there's a lot of pressure from the media, and we do have a very negative media, but uh, you know there's what thirty odd sports papers in Spain that also put pressure on their national team and probably aren't very happy that they. They got thumped by Portugal during the week. No, I mean, and but then I think you could argue that Spain massively underperformed for years and years and years, and that was part of the reason why. And and I think Brazil is a particularly interesting example because they do have a very kind of critical and and vociferous footballing media. But I just think there's something about English culture and the kind of society we live in. There's something about the combination of snarkiness and aggression and cynicism and how stratified our societies become this i think this is there's a particular combination of factors that i think it's not a massive leap to say is having an effect on the national team because it's it because it's it permeates all aspects of our national discourse that kind of culture and i think the football team is particularly affected by it and maybe it's just that they're not very good that's that's the other possibility yeah, I, I think that's a big factor in it. But yeah, I do, I do take your point. Talking of um, non-English players at United, as we did just then, Anders Lindegaard is uh, a, well, it seems, a new Manchester United player. I don't think there's been confirmation that the, the deal's actually been signed, but it's almost certainly true. It, uh, United have said nothing uh, as of this recording, uh, as is their typical way with United, but the Norwegian media are all like, over this. He's, uh, he's a Danish international who plays in Norway and uh, a club called Azelunds, who... Uh, did all right. The, the kind of mid-ranked side traditionally fa- fairly new, but came fourth in the uh, in the uh, tipple game this season. And uh, he, he's been a kind of journeyman player all his career. And and, and in fact, uh, this is a, a good way of summing him up. He was at Obia Dens, who we mentioned last week, uh, the the Danish club, and uh, he lost his place to Roy Carroll of once of United fame, and and uh, went off to Norway instead, where he seems to have progressed and made his way into the the national team. He's played the last four Denmark games in a row now, and United are doing deal for him. At, at 3.5 million pounds well two and then 1.5 to add on is is 
what I've been told. Does I mean, are you excited? I don't know anything about Anders Lindegaard. My knowledge of Norwegian football is is poor, and I feel a bit like a BBC match commentator, not having done any research whatsoever. For which I apologise, but this is a, a hasty late night rant cast recording due to work commitments. So so yeah, sorry for not having read up and watched YouTube footage and stuff. You talked about him uh, when we last talked about potential United goalkeepers of the future. Is he the new Peter Schmeichel or the new Roy Carroll who we lost his place to? No idea. Although that, that particular stat makes me rather worried. I think what they're doing now, I mean, we'll see the strategy on this one. If they do, of course, the rumours today that, that a deal for, um, and this is a very exciting deal if they do it for, um, for De Gea, the Atletico Madrid goalkeeper, 20 year old keeper, is, is almost done and dusted now. And certainly that's, that's what the Spanish press are reporting, although the Atleti president denied it. Vociferously denied it as well. He, he he did. I, I wonder whether that's a negotiating tactic. You know, the, the media are all over this. They think this is done, which would be very exciting because he looks the best young goalkeeper I've ever seen. I have to say, I've seen a lot of him. He's uh, very, very composed. So if, if that's the case, if they do bring both of them in, you'd kind of expect Pig to leave and De Gea to be number one and Lindegaard to be a, a very capable number two and challenging for that number one spot. If, on the other hand, they don't bring in a, uh, a top-class keeper and Lindegaard's their choice, well, it, it might give us some pointers as to where they're the club's thinking at the moment and maybe still buying cheap is uh, is still a policy and now well, you know this famed 150 million odd pounds in the bank uh, isn't going to be spent in the transfer market well let's hope that that's not the case really because it's going to be quite grim if it is isn't it if 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 this is the best of the bunch that we're we're getting although you know don't know i mean as i said a very 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 spotty knowledge of norwegian football uh and indeed the danish national team so i've no idea could he could have you know it's goalkeepers do kind of mature later and and perhaps learn the game a bit a bit later and yeah um yeah maybe i mean peter schmeichel joined us when he was 28 although he wasn't established he was an established uh, international by that stage and played an awful lot of games. I, I think the the one thing that would worry you about Lindegaard is that he he basically hasn't he's played like a hundred games in a career and he's twenty six yeah. and and doesn't necessarily speak of someone with massive class. But maybe he's just he's come to it late. He's a late bloomer. And we'll see. We'll see. I mean, he's he's typical day and he's got some you know blonde locks on him and not quite as big as and imposing as Peter Schmeichel, who who is still the best keeper ever for my money. You know, I'm in my mid thirties, so I I didn't see much of Banks and and uh, and the rest of that era. But um, no one beats Schmeichel, do they? I believe there used to be a song about that. Um, so um, I guess that's it for this week's rankcast, really, isn't it? We've we've covered an awful lot of ground. I guess we didn't really talk very much about the Wigan game. Skulls will be back, will he, or is he still suspended it's just a one match no no Skulls is back um, and uh, we could well see Ryan Giggs alongside Paul Skulls and um, Wayne Rooney obviously we mentioned and I, I think actually there are no further injuries in the squad from, from what I've heard other than the long term ones to Michael Owen and Owen Hargreaves and Antonio Valencia and and, uh, and so on and then of course the uh, in midweek there's the trip to Ibrox no doubt a fantastic atmosphere as it, as it always is at Ibrox and uh, United will be looking for a win to, to sign and seal qualification for the next round and, and win the group. Uh, interesting story this one of course uh, Javier Hernandez a devout Catholic uh, kneels in the centre of the the, uh, the pitch when he plays and, and does a little prayer and uh, media stories this week that the club reportedly told him not to do this because it would wind up the Rangers fans. I think that would be a shame in a way not that I'm Catholic uh, but if uh, if we're pandering to the uh, uh, frankly nasty sectarianism that lives in Scotland I've, I've lived in Scotland and it 
wasn't pleasant, then that would be a real shame. But I suppose we don't want to spark a riot. No, absolutely. Um, I guess uh, we are paradoxically considerably more likely to beat Rangers away from home than we were because you at home because you would imagine that they will at least put their bus on the halfway line rather than on the goal line and attempt to do some kind of attacking at home. Clearly Bursa Spora are not going to qualify uh, but you know, Rangers are still in the mix there for that Europa League spot so if Rangers do want European football on an ongoing basis then then they do need some points so hopefully that means they'll come out and attack and, and try and score a goal. I, I, you know, I, don't, I don't put a load of store in that but we'll see it be it would be nice wouldn't it, it might get a good game and of course um did did phil neville not score our goal the last time we went to ibox many years ago i guess we'll be back this time next week to talk about how those two games have gone it should be two united victories and it'll be interesting to see whether wayne rooney is back and what kind of his impact he's had i have to say when you talked about the wigan game there just got a little tiny lump in my throat when you talked about paul skulls and right gigs playing together because when well, we really got to savor these games uh because i i there's not going to be too many more of them no and and there might not be too much more of alex ferguson i mean i've been saying for quite a while now i think june 2011 is uh, is the day he'll retire and of course he said in qatar this week that he has no intention of retiring retiring's for young people and he's going to go on forever so maybe he'll be carrying fergie out in a box which is what they'll be doing to us on our episode 9000 of Randcast. We'll see you next week.